Welcome to Top of the Hill, your chance to step out of your comfort zone and dig deeper than the headlines into current affairs and important issues. Join us as we learn more about our communities through candid conversations with special guests covering everything from history and culture to entertainment and life advice. Welcome to our first episode of Talk of the Hill. Today we're talking to Matt McGlenn about mental health and the challenges of staying well during a pandemic. To get started, we're going to introduce ourselves. My name is Hyorin Nguyen, one of your co-hosts. I'm an international student transition advisor at UNB. I have a soft spot for food, coffee, and true crime. And I am Tabitha Armstrong, your other co-host. I am a staff member from the Faculty of Arts at UNB. If you're an art student tuning in, then you'll recognize my name from the many emails you get from me. And like Hillary, I am a big food fan and I love trying new recipes. I also really enjoy reading, music, and hiking. All right, let's get to know who Matt McLean is. Matt transformed evidence and research from the words of psychology and resilience into practical strategies that promote positive mental well-being and growth. With a background in counseling, mental health, and accessibility, Matt engages audiences with important ideas that come with big payoffs. He believes in the power of supportive, open communities and the strength found in connection and sharing. Matt has been a counselor for 10 years focusing on large-scale, mental health and resilience interventions through the development and sharing of resilience narratives. In addition, he developed and coordinated several peer-based programming initiatives at UMB, and he uses gaming as therapeutic and social connection tools. His hobbies include trying to get enough sleep and finding time to play guitar. Matt is currently the mental health strategist at the University of New Brunswick and lives with his wife and young son in Scotch Settlement, New Brunswick. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Before we start with the questions, uh, Matt, where you would imagine us to be right now if we were sitting across from each other physically? Where is your safe space? And perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like if I could imagine us sitting anywheres just like chatting where would we wow okay i mean obviously it's sunny and i mean maybe this is cliche but i i think we're on a beach and the you can hear the sound of the waves just sort of gently crashing in and uh you know we've got shade too so it's sunny but we're in the shade and uh a very cold drink and like oh my gosh and i'm looking out i'm I'm seeing mountains, you know, rising in the distance. This is, well, you guys have really put me in a good place here. I'm Matt McLean. I'm the mental health strategist uh, at UNB. I'm petting a cat. Uh, we have three cats, two of which totally ignore me, and then one which will not leave me alone. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in all things related to mental health and well-being and resilience, but also music and guitar and board games and tabletop role-playing games. That's what I'm into. I always feel elated when um, people invite me into this safe space. It is personal. Like, people are ready to open up and 
it is somehow important to me to know we're here to share and embrace our real feelings instead of small talks. So thank you for inviting us into your safe space today, Matt. Yeah, hey, you're very, very welcome. So you are a mental health strategist at UNB. Would you like to explain about your role and what does it mean to you on both personal and professional level? Yeah, I, I have to say I absolutely love uh, my role. It's where I'm meant to be, you know. Uh, I'm not sure if I believe in, in faith per se, uh, but certainly, you know, the decisions that we make, the kind of people that we are, they, they lead us somewhere. And, and where I am is, is like totally makes sense for me because it's, it's a role where uh, I get to talk and learn about people. And that was always my first interest. Like when I think about being in high school and then going into university, like what was the thing that drove me? And, and what drove me was, was being interested in other people and wanting to help other people. And that's all I really wanted to do. Like every decision uh, that I made in terms of what I studied and what jobs I took was sort of based on that. Like how many other mental health strategists do you know, right? It's kind of like a newer thing. Uh, definitely this kind of role does pop up a little bit more. You're seeing it more commonly um, at other institutions and organizations, but it's, it's someone who is responsible for taking a look at, at the, at, mental health at sort of a community level, sort of like a big picture thing. Cause you know, we've got all these resources around uh, individual support. You can come to counseling services. You can, you can speak to a counselor or, or groups that we have within counseling. Um, and I don't really do that. Instead, what I do is I work on projects and ideas that are meant to target the whole community. In fact, the way I kind of been talking about it lately, because everybody has this idea of public health a little bit more in mind, right? We know this idea about like small little things that we can do, but that can have a really big impact. So, you know, wearing a mask, washing your hands, not big things, but if we all do that, huge impact. And some of the things that I do are like public mental health right so we have projects where you know, we target uh, large numbers of incoming students with really small uh, ideas you know something that takes 20 minutes where we kind of get them to to think about their internal experience you know we we know some of the predictable things that students will experience when they come to university doubts that they will have and so we can kind of inoculate in a sense, against those things by, by doing these very small things, but on a very broad scale and hoping that they have uh, a bigger impact, an impact that's bigger than the size of, of what you give out. I was always in the limbo whenever mental health came up as a topic in a conversation, coming from a culture where stress is the only term to diagnose or describe all the mental health disorder or illness. I wasn't sure how to convey it in my head and it is definitely not black and white and has so many layers to it. So Matt, what really motivated you to advocate for mental health in the first place and how did it all start? You know, I, I actually, before working in the mental health field, um, I was actually working in the accessibility field. That's, that's where I sort of first started off my career. So seeking uh, support and accommodations for persons with disabilities, 
you know, and other diverse needs. And, and that was kind of great groundwork really for working in the mental health field because you got to learn in, in that role in the accessibility field, you got to learn just how unique people are, how, how different people's experience and background and understanding can be. And that's something that I've always taken with me in my work and, and role because we have these, these, we have our own ideas, you know, shaped uh, based on our own experience uh, around what we think mental health can be and mean. And that influences so much, both how we see other people and how we see ourselves. There are a lot of these really popular narratives around mental health that kind of contribute to this idea that mental health is only something that a small number of people need to think about or worry about. And we tend to equate mental health with mental illness. But we don't do that when it comes to physical health, right? Like if you think about how we think about our physical health, uh, it's very different from how we think about our, and talk about our mental health, but really they're, they are very, very similar, right? We all have mental health. We all have an experience of emotions and thoughts and difficulties, um, just like we all have, you know, physical health. And it's something that we need to think about and, and work on every day, right? You think about, you can't, you know, get in physical shape, you know, or you can, but it's not greatest when you do it when something goes wrong. It's something that you want to be um, thinking about and, and taking care of because you're going to be using, you're just like using your body every day, you're using your mind and you're having the experience of emotions every day. And so... I've always been interested in wanting to like change that, that perception, change how we, we talk about it. You know, there was a lot of destigmatizing work that we've, that's been gone on in the mental health field. And then, you know, initially a lot of my work had to, to do with that too. And I still do some of that, but I do think, and I mean, I'm talking about the post-secondary context. It's, there's going to be a lot of different contexts that are, that won't be the same, but um, I think it's it's really different than it was 10 or 20 years ago in terms of the profile of mental health and you know your the the basic uh, willingness of your average university student to talk about their mental health experience and and we've tried to really open that up by having uh, upper year peers talk about their experience you know we so much of, of around mental health, because it's a lot of it, there is shame attached to it. We do keep inside our, our own head for fear that, you know, other people will, will judge us negatively for sharing that. So, you know, we get, we get peers, older students to talk about their experience. And then we also get staff and faculty too, to talk about their experience too, and to normalize things like worry, and sadness, even when they can be really, really challenging. And changing people's ideas from, oh no, I'm experiencing anxiety, I must have a mental illness, to, oh, I'm experiencing anxiety because of something that's going on in my life, and that's a normal experience, you know, and I want to be able to learn about it and learn how to, to manage and respond to it. Um, but it's not some terrible hidden thing. Thank you, Matt. I, I really like the way you talk about mental health and mental wellness or unwellness in a, in a holistic way, that it's, it's such a 
integrated part of our lives and it's also an integrated part of our community. And I think your, your previous answer did a really good job of helping me segue to my question for you about uh, mental wellness or, or unwellness and how it's manifested in your life and, and your own journey. And especially as you're mentioning that we are, we are kind of modeling for students how to, to talk more openly about these things. And I certainly noticed that has changed a lot that students I interact with now talk so much more openly about their own mental wellness than, than I would have felt comfortable talking when I was an undergraduate student. So maybe you could tell us more about your own journey with that. Yeah, I've, I've always talked pretty um, openly around my own experience with mental health, which was, you know, when I was very young, um, you know, I'm at a friend's birthday party sleepover and I end up having this panic attack and I didn't know what it was at the time but I have this awful uh, panic experience you know my parents have to come get me and then I spend this whole night just like tossing and turning not knowing you know what's going on with me you know after that was you know seeing some psychologists and kind of learning a little bit about it you know learning like basic relaxation stuff and this was like early 90s so you know I'm not sure how kind of like some of those ideas may have been at that time they might have been pretty pretty basic and then that basically sent me on uh, a journey around struggling with anxiety uh, and panic uh, usually around like really specific things so it's like funny this very first experience it was at the sleepover and uh, so for a long time, like I had essentially this phobia of like sleeping over at other people's houses, um, which lasted for me like well into my undergraduate university experience. And then there were other manifestations too, like even just being in a classroom sometimes was really difficult because I was just so afraid of a panic attack. I was just so afraid of like, well, what, what's going to happen if I'm in this room with all these other people and then I have a panic attack and I suddenly have to leave. Like I'm, I'm going to be ostracized. Everybody's going to be like, what's, what's up with that weird guy who just had to suddenly like get up and leave. And I've always had these jobs too, that really required a lot of, of public speaking, speaking in front of large groups. And uh, it used to ruin me. Like for days I would get asked to like speak and then for the whole week beforehand, I would just be fretting about it. And this would happen even just like in small meetings with other people, sometimes that would show up. And I can always remember the first five minutes of like a talk or, or a meeting, I would be so anxious that I wouldn't know what I was saying. Like I know, I would know that words were coming out, but I had no clue what they were. And I kind of got used to that after a while. It would just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to ride this five minutes out and come out the other side and hope that what I just uttered wasn't gibberish. And then just like roll with it like that. And I think one thing that helped me over the years was that I never ran away from those things. Like those things that scared me, that seemed to cause me panic. I never let myself not do them, right? Because if you let yourself not do those things, you're never going to get an opportunity to prove to yourself that, you know what, you can get through it. And, and other things that helped me get through stuff like that was, you know, learning a lot more about like, well, what is anxiety and how to manage it. But that, and I still do that. I still have to learn about that and figure out different ways of understanding it and processing it. But things like 
like self-compassion and sort of a so what attitude when it came to panic attacks really helped me because so much of like the early days I think this is how early treatment and like uh, uh, support for panic was was formed it was like okay you need to relax yourself you need to like push the panic down not let it take over but and that where there's a place for that and maybe that worked for some people but sometimes you just need to let it happen you let it happen and you accept it because oftentimes it's it's more the fear of that experience uh, the fear of the fear if you will that really drives it right so all of a sudden you have this like worrisome thought of like oh I'm gonna, what if i have a panic attack and like don't have that thought don't have that thought but like you can't stop thoughts you especially can't stop thoughts you don't want to have right they're going to be there so you have to learn to kind of like roll with them that way whenever I think I've got it kind of like conquered and like it's gone it's not right this is going to be a thing I'll, I'll have for the rest of my life and, and that's fine right and I think if I accept that I'm going to do a lot better knowing that like yeah occasionally I'm going to have these experiences of really intense anxiety or or panic and I want to manage that and I'll go for years where it's fine and every time I do go through you know when it comes up again like I learn something I get a little bit wiser I get a little bit stronger and and then more recently like that popped again in a really big way like for everyone you know the pandemic the being in quarantine doing everything from home has been exceptionally challenging and you know it's funny to say being someone that works in the mental health field and talking about mental health all day I was ignoring so much and I was like I was literally saying in my own head for weeks you are on the edge you are about to lose it like you are just really can't handle and i was like i'm like yeah yeah i guess i should do something about that <laughs> and uh anyway so the the, the issue kind of got forced when i started experiencing like insomnia and i had this one night and i didn't sleep through the whole night like a totally sleepless night and i was like okay well you know that's happened before but i've always been able to get sleep the next night but then that next night comes and I can't, I can't get to sleep again. And then that's when these really like catastrophic thoughts start to like come in. You're like, am I going to go crazy? Am I going to die? And I have this hours long panic attack and doing everything I can using every trick in the book to try to manage it. And my wife is there trying to help me and nothing's helping, nothing's helping until it gets to the point where it's just, it's intolerable. And I don't know what else to do other than to go to the hospital. It's like, all right, I'm going to go to the hospital. And, and I do that. And they, of course, give me, you know, a prescription for something to, like, tamp down the panic attack. And that was only three weeks ago. That was three weeks ago. And the issue became forced. It was so scary that I was like, okay, you know what? I am going to super seriously take care of myself right now. Like, I've been doing a metric ton of self-care right i've never taken antidepressants before but like okay i'm gonna start taking antidepressants um i'm gonna start journaling i'm gonna start bringing up my meditation practice again i'm gonna do yoga and get cardio exercise every day and it's helped like every day has been better than the last and like even if the sleep is still you know obviously i have this anxiety about sleep now and that's a challenge but everything else has gotten better which is great because like we're about to enter into winter in a pandemic the southern half of new brunswick is in 
phase orange. Oh, what are we going to get out? We don't know. Are we going to go through the holidays in phase orange? So that, and the one thing I've been saying consistently, and I've been saying this about students too, that, that we need to provide this for students. We need to give them the space. We need, everyone needs the space to be able to spend more time taking care of themselves because the challenges are significant. Uh, every aspect of our, our well-being socially, mentally, physically is being challenged and every single member of our community is being challenged. So if you think about like your own household, you know, if there's just one member of your household who's having a bad day, who's sick or grumpy and the impact that that has on everybody else, well, like everybody has this. So everyone's individual capacity is lowered. Everyone's capacity to support others is lowered. I totally agree. And wow, you just, you, you mentioned so many different things that I, I kept thinking, oh, I want to jump on that. Oh, I want to explore that in more detail. Uh, but yeah, one, thank you for sharing all of that and for sharing about what just happened with you recently, because I think it's really important for people to hear that this is a real thing. It isn't just a past thing, right? I think sometimes people think that, oh, look at this mental health strategist. He's got everything under control. Yeah, sure. He maybe had some experiences in his youth, but it's all over now. And he's got it totally under control. Because like you said, right. you know all the tricks in the book. You know what you're supposed to do. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to be enough sometimes. Or we, you know, and we all, regardless of how well we know something or how how good we are at intellectually understanding and rationalizing and and being aware, that doesn't mean that we aren't susceptible to to the stresses of life, to the difficulties of life, to to what's going to to happen in our own household, outside of our household. There's so many factors, and and like you said, sometimes it's it's cyclical and it can just show up and you you don't necessarily even understand the cycle yet. So I, I've experienced that a little bit too myself. I got kind of blindsided by um, some pretty serious unexpected burnout and anxiety after grad school. And it felt like it came out of nowhere. Of course, looking back with my 2020 vision, mm -hmm. I understand really well why it happened the way it did and why burnout manifested in such a tangible way for me at the end of grad school and with some pretty um, surprising anxiety effects that I wasn't expecting. Um, so I can see that now. But at the time, it, it felt like I had got walloped and that I was finally at a point in my life where, no, I should have this all under control. And for me, control is usually the linchpin of it all. I, I, right. I want to control it. I think I can control it. I think if I can understand it, I will then be able to control it. And uh, I've chatted with some other friends about this before when they've themselves been experiencing perhaps like a prolonged or extended anxiety attack. And they, they get so frustrated in addition to the anxiety because they're like, I understand what's happening to me. I understand. I know what the physiological responses mm -hmm. happening in my body mean. And yet I cannot control them because we, we have this belief, right? That if we can understand it, we can control it and stop it. If we know the tricks, we can employ the tricks and it will stop. And it doesn't always mm -hmm. work. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you reached out and, and went and sought some help because that really was clearly what you needed was to kind of relinquish that control and say, I, I just desperately need the help right now to, to fix this. Um, and I think that, that this might be a good opportunity to, to talk more about what mental wellness or, or the impacts of 
COVID and, and the pandemic are on mental wellness, because I think it has a lot to do with control and uncertainty. But so much more feels outside of our control right now. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on what, what mental wellness looks like in a pandemic. When this all started, it was like, okay, everybody go home. And I remember the first two weeks, probably, uh, I was really on edge. And I think everybody was because there was so much uncertainty about how big is this going to get, right? Like, what is, how is this going to go? And I remember, you know, we had not, not stockpiled food to the extent of depriving others of, of necessary items, but we had like, you know, a big like rubber tote full of food because we had this idea like, oh, are we maybe going to have to like not leave our house, our property for like weeks or months at a time? Is that how this goes? And, and no one knew how it was going to go. And we in Atlantic Canada, uh, through in some respects, just pure luck did pretty well. Um, which isn't to say that we didn't all experience negative impacts on our health because because of worry, right? When you're really like worrying about something constantly, when you can't escape that worry, which if you opened up Facebook or checked the news or listened, like do anything, it's like the topic of the hour every hour is COVID. What are the numbers today, right? And it's almost like, like water torture. It's just like a little drip at first, but then it just turns into a sore spot. And it kind of happens so slowly, too, that you don't even realize it. And one thing that I really learned through my recent experience was that there was all this stuff that I didn't realize how much of an impact it was having on me, like the checking the news. What are the numbers today? What's going on in the adjoining provinces? Like, are these cases travel related? Is it community transmission? And I think it was because I became so fragile following what happened to me. I was so sensitive to those things now. And so I know that I can't be checking that stuff and wanting to talk about that stuff as much as I had been because it turned into this real source of, of anxiety. So I think that's one thing that we all have to be able to do um, is balance the taking in the information that we need in order to inform our, you know, behavior, right? It's like, you got to know we're in orange now. So, cause that, that changes things, but do we, should we be obsessing, you know, every day about the numbers and really worried about moving into red as much as we can? No. And that's like, I was talking earlier, like you can't stop thoughts. Thoughts are going to happen, but you can do things with those thoughts. Um, I mentioned journaling, and that's a really fantastic way because sometimes things just need to be, they need to be expressed. If we let them stay inside and we let them be on a hamster wheel, it'll just go on forever. Um, that's something that can happen to a lot of people when they're having trouble to sleep because like they're ruminating over, over something in their head. So, so don't do that. Put it out on paper. Think of like, okay, if you're if you're ruminating on some problem, it's like, okay, well, what's the next like little step I could take to be able to address that? And then you've got that down on paper there. That's taken care of. And you'll find it's it's almost magical when you write things down, right? It's really like they leave your head and now they're on paper and you don't need to worry about it so much. 
And I think you were really right in talking about this issue of, of control and worry. And everybody wants to have that, that control, thinking like, well, if I just make the right decisions, if I just have the right info, you know, I'll be able to be safe and I won't contract COVID or I won't give COVID to other people. And that too is about finding the, the, the medium, about finding the, the space where like, yeah, you stay informed enough, you, you perform you, uh, public health you know, measures without going overboard and just telling yourself, you know what, I'm doing the things that I think I'm comfortable with doing and that's going to be what I'm going to do and I'm not going to do those things to the point where they make me worry too much they make me anxious all the time and to be able to to let go of those fears and then you know i'm just gonna go back to writing again because so much of where anxiety comes from is some sort of fuzzy catastrophe it's like i don't know exactly what it is that i'm afraid of but i know i'm really afraid of something but write it down and explore it and start to question it you know how realistic uh is that and but the other really like remarkable thing uh, about humans is that you know we are adaptable. If if we listen to ourselves, if we allow our, our experience to to be there and look at it without pushing it away, because no matter what, you're going to have the experience. So don't be afraid if it's good or bad. You know, just embrace it and and learn from it. Um, but we are incredibly resilient, and we really can adapt to changing circumstances to difficult circumstances uh which i think we've all done you know like i mentioned those first few weeks the pandemic and like okay how are you going to live like this well you know we are living like this and we have for months and we will continue to to do so for months but the other really important piece to have there is is hope right and hope can be hard to hold on to over a really long period of time um, but it's it's a critical piece because we have to be able to look forward and be able to say to ourselves, either things will get better or I will learn to be able to manage, like one of those two things. But we can pretty safely say as far as COVID and the pandemic goes, like it has a timeline. It's going to get better. Like I saw today, they're rolling out the vaccine in the United Kingdom like next week, right? So we can't say exactly when that's going to happen for us or when the vaccination will be widespread enough that we'll get to go back to quote unquote normal, but it's going to happen. And so taking each day as it comes without having to panic too much about the future and knowing that each day you do have things that you can do to take care of yourself, you know, and it's hard to just say like, eat more kale and do more yoga, but eat more kale and do more yoga, like, like you know, what, whatever kale and yoga is for you, right? And uh, do those things that, that feed you to, um, to keep you healthy. Thank you. Yeah, that's, again, so many, so many interesting things there. And I, I like your message of hope. Um, I also think that hope needs to go with patience, right? There needs to be a certain amount of patience and, and uh, gentleness with this, the process, with the unknowable timeline. But there is a timeline. We just don't have certainty about it. We don't know exactly. We don't have a deadline. We don't have mm -hmm. a date that we know that things will be back to normal. 
and uh, you can, so you can't just kind of grit your teeth and bear it until then. It's not about gritting your teeth and bearing it. Like you said, it's about caring for yourself and being present and finding, finding ways to, to be hopeful without getting derailed by that hope and having unrealistic expectations of when this will all be over. Uh, so I appreciate what you're, you're saying there. And I also really appreciate what you were saying about, you know, uh, not necessarily paying attention to yourself in the way that you need to and paying attention to what the real impacts of the pandemic are. So that water torture that mm -hmm. resonates with me that it's like a drip, 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 drip. And then eventually the cup overflows and, and you don't necessarily sense it's going to happen until then it, it does happen. And I, I know I've certainly experienced that sometimes of denying it and denying it on the basis that, well, I don't have, as much to complain about as others, right? I, I, the Atlantic provinces have had, uh, in some ways, an easier time of it. Our restrictions were lighter at various points. They're not as light right now, but they were lighter. And we, we had moments of more normalcy, I think, for a lot of people that were, were helpful. We were really, really fortunate that that was the case. But that doesn't mean that the overall impact of the experience hasn't, hasn't taken its toll and hasn't, uh, caused some distress among lots of different people. Um, so just to switch gears a little bit here, uh, we, we've been talking about kind of how to take care of yourself during the pandemic and to find your kale and your yoga, to, to find what those things are. And that makes me think a little bit about our use of screens right now, because for some people, maybe one of the ways they take care of themselves is, is by playing a game on a screen or connecting with somebody via a screen. But now we're, we're sensitive to the fact that for many of us, we're working from home or we're, if we're not working from home, our time spent at home may be spent on screens trying to connect with others because we can't socialize with them. Um, so, so much more of our time is now on a screen, even more so than we had before. So it's like both the balm and the bane of our existence mm -hmm. right now. It, it's both a, a source of potential connection and comfort or or relaxation, but it can also be draining and exhausting and unhealthy to spend all our time surrounded by social media, for instance, or news. Um, so what are your, your thoughts on how to maintain some sort of healthy balance when a screen may be the only way you can, you can be right now? Like we are, a lot of us really are addicted to, to our screens. Uh, to our phones, right? You know, you think you've got that device with you all the time and you do everything through it. Like how often do you go to the bathroom now without like, oh, I got to find my phone first, right? And, uh, and then you're right, we do our work through a screen and then often we do our socializing through a screen too. And there is a, a, a neurological impact that, that it has. Like so much of, of our, our, the things that happen to us, I think we've just a little, bit, a little bit of a theme are sometimes beneath the surface. Like we're not always aware of them until they make themselves known. And, you know, we talk about this term like Zoom fatigue, like video conferencing fatigue, that our, our brain is impacted by looking at a screen all day long. You know the kind of physical impact and impact it has on our, our vision and eye strain and then just on our, our neurology what's happening in inside our head and um this was made also a 
big thing for me too, you know, talking about insomnia and me going like all the way on what we call sleep hygiene, right? Like all the things that you can do to try and make your sleep better. And one of those things for me is reduced screen time. And after, I think usually it's like pretty much post 7 p.m., no screen at all. And it's not that hard. And like, especially at first, I'm like, well, I want, I'm going to do everything in my power to like try to get on top of this. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I could just pop open the screen, like go take a look at that for a second. But it has actually probably been one of the most important things for my well-being because, and you know, my routine is we've got a child. And so, you know, put them down to bed 7 p.m. And, um, and so after that, like no screens. And then I come down and I'm like, all right, I got so much more time, first of all, because you can just plop yourself down in front of your laptop or your phone and then an hour goes by in a blink. And I've got all this time. I'm actually struggling a little bit to find things to do in the evening, not just because of like not having different things to do, but wanting them to be like relaxing things. I can play more guitar. I can do, oh my gosh, I'm doing so much reading. Like I love reading and really had gotten away from it. And like now I'm doing a ton of that. I can do a little bit more cleaning, do a little bit more yoga. So I think really the message around screens is you've got to put them away as much as possible. Like we're not going to be able to get rid of them completely because they're just integral to how we do so much, but really force yourself to put them down and get away from them for a good chunk of the day. And if sleeping is a challenge for you, then really consider like a no screen past, you know, however many hours before bed, really. Um, I'm finding it fantastic and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure other people will enjoy that too. I agree, Matt. It is definitely very challenging to put down your screen when you don't have to work. I think we all would agree on some level that, you know, we have been taught or trained to believe that we should adapt to social connections, um, meeting new people and spending our circles for both personal and career development. Um, so we basically have to become an extroverted, even though it's, it's hard for a lot of cases. Um, and I have been molded into this concept. And some days I can feel the exhaustion in the marrow of my bones. Like, you know, did I update my LinkedIn profile or I should share this on, on my Facebook because so-and-so. So when we ask people every day, how are you? And a lot of times people don't really care about the response. And I know that small talk is such a comfortable way to start a conversation. I always feel like I'm obligated to say good thanks, even though what I really want to say is not that great. Thanks for asking. Can we move on to our real feelings now? COVID-19 has come up quite a lot as well in the conversations and it's definitely the new small talk that you know, people like to bring it up. Um, it definitely plays a big role of affecting everyone's mental health or e even physical health. But beside COVID-19, life still goes on for a lot of us and others. If we take the coronavirus out of the equation, how can we break the stigma to express our own emotions? without feeling like you are putting burden on others. Yeah, and this is, this is interesting. So like one funny story, 
I, I have or experience I remember was in in a, a job before my job now at a different place. I, I got let go at totally unexpected. Like I thought that was like my career path and like, okay, no, it's not. You're being let go. But I was like stuck around for like my contract still had like a month or two months left or whatever. And, uh, you know, workplace with a lot of other people walk around. Hey, how's it going? Not good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm fine, too. Because, like, people, you'd say it, but people didn't hear it. I thought that was so fun. Like, every once in a while, someone would, like, you know, uh, an eyebrow would raise. And I'd be open and telling, like, you know, why I said that. Uh, but so much of that is like, you know, automatic and a pleasantry, right? We just don't want to hear that for other people. And I've really gotten in the habit of saying how I actually am when I get asked that question. I remember this other time when I they brought, they brought in this big speaker, like consultant from the, the U.S. to come up and, and meet with me and a bunch of other people. And we're all going around the room. How's it going? How's it going? This is me. This is me. And I was like, and that day, I, I think I just hadn't slept well because of a, an infant. And I just like said that, you know, like oh, I'm feeling pretty awful today and, you know, didn't sleep and I'm really worried about such and such. And it was just like the consultant guy who was this pretty uh, uh, funny individual, which is like, wow, like, yeah, okay. Like, thank you for no one ever does that. That's awesome. And I, I think that we have a fear of both expressing and hearing from other people when they're not doing well mentally, that we, will, we don't know what to do and we're afraid someone's gonna make it a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Uh, how are you doing? Awful, I've got the flu. Oh, that sucks, you know, like, sorry about that. Like, I hope you get better. How are you doing? Uh, awful. I've had a panic attack. I've been dealing with panic attacks all weekends. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's awful. Do you need any help? Right? Like, and they're like, no, I'm fine. Or like, yeah, yeah, maybe we could talk about it a little bit. Like, all I'm trying to say there is that it doesn't have to be this like, oh, my God, they just told me that there's something is going wrong with them in their emotional or mental health. Like, do I have to call the ambulance? Do I, it's like, no, 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 it's, it's normal. It's, it's every day. Like I think about when I went to the hospital recently and it's like, why did I go to the hospital? Because I was having a panic attack. I couldn't get away from. Right. And why is that different than like, Oh, why'd you go to the hospital? Oh, I had appendicitis. I really don't see there being any difference, but just because of mental health being so hidden and all of the stigma that's been attached to it over the years, we see it as being totally different. And we reinforce that with our behavior. Like you say, we just don't tell people how we're actually doing. And there may be other angles to it. But for me, I, I always say that, you know, it doesn't have to be this big thing. When someone tells that or we sell, tell that to another person, right? Like, just like we would share if we were having some sort of a physical ailment. It's not, we don't necessarily need something from another person. Maybe we do and we can communicate that sign. But I think we just need to be able to get to a place where it's okay to say that and, and, and we know we don't have to worry about someone having a big reaction because they're like, oh my God, what do I do? Uh, and then same for us, we kind of feel like, oh, I just need to say, thank you for telling me that. Can I help? Simple as that.
So Matt, you, you were mentioning in response to Hillary's really excellent question about how, how, do we, how do we learn, how do we model, but also how do we learn how to share more openly and more honestly about our emotions mm -hmm. instead of just getting stuck in this, the surface, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, even though definitely not fine. Um, cycle and I, I love your story about actually breaking that cycle a bit and I, I've witnessed other people try and break it too. I myself have not gotten brave enough yet to break it um, but I'm gonna endeavor to try more. Um, I definitely appreciate it when other people do so I appreciate you Matt doing that and Hillary I really appreciate you saying you know that experience of feeling exhausted in the marrow of your bones like what a mm. what a great way to to capture the exhaustion you might be feeling and so next time Hillary if I ask you how you're doing tell me that you're exhausted to the marrow of your bones and I will hear it and I will validate it and I will say I'm, I'm sorry you're having a hard time and ask if you need any help that I can offer in my limited capacity from my home on zoom maybe as a kind of final word to our, our listeners tuning in today uh, do we have any kind of final notes or, or advice, recommendations for how people can move forward with some of these ideas? I, I think a lot of great things have come out in this conversation. And it's, I guess, is there anything else we want to add to that? I do, because this is something I thought about saying um, earlier when we were talking about, you know, what does wellness and taking care of ourselves during, during a pandemic look like? And, and there's one part that, that I didn't mention how do we get through any really difficult time and and we do it with with that patience and paying attention to ourselves and what we need and you know nurturing and seeking out supportive relationships with other people but we also need um faith in ourselves and you know, not only are, are humans very adaptable, but we really are incredibly resilient. We just forget about that. But every single human really has been at some point in their life in a really dark, scary place, right? You've been in a hole where you didn't see a way forward, where you didn't have any hope and you didn't know how you were going to get through it. But you did, you did get through it and you came through the other side smarter and stronger than you did before. And so just like those times, that's what's gonna happen right now, right? So use all of those skills, but really trust in your ability, have faith um, in your resilience, in your capacity to choose compassion and love and if you really believe that, and you should, because it's true for all of us, then, then we're all going to get through this. Matt, I think that was a really amazing note to end on. And we just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a really honest and refreshing conversation about the realities of, of mental health wellness, illness, all those different facets of our, our being during a pandemic and outside of a pandemic. So we just, Hillary and I are both very grateful to you for being so candid with us and for sharing this and for, for sharing this with our audience. So thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed having this conversation. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Talk of the Hill, All Bottled Up, 
with special guest Matthew McLean, UNB's mental health strategist. You can find out more about Matt and find more mental wellness resources and information by visiting UNB's Counseling Services webpage, which you can find in the description. If you'd like to get in touch with us about the podcast, contact us at isao at unb.ca. Thanks for listening, and remember to make time for yourself during this busy end-of-term season. One real advice, stay hydrated, and until next time. Mm-hmm.